0: Let's go inside the vault, the design vault.
1: Gentrification is always an issue in New York City and trying to deal with that in a responsible way as an architect is something we often think about. Some people, you know, have a problem with larger buildings, but we're not talking about towers. The most bulk is on avenues where I think people are a bit more comfortable. And because we're bringing residential into the neighborhood, that's usually something that's appreciated. Everyone in New York believes rents and housing prices are too high and that we need a greater supply. This is my guest, Peter Miller. I'll share more about him shortly.
0: In this episode from the Design Vault, we highlight Peter's project, 625 Rogers Avenue. 625 Rogers Avenue is the site for a new mixed-use building, with a primary use of residential, ground-level commercial, and community facility uses with a below-grade enclosed parking lot. The architectural design for the building divides the overall mass into two distinct volumes, a lower and upper. The lower is a rectilinear form that relates to historic buildings in the area. This volume is meant to create a more contextual streetscape and a friendly residential feel. In contrast, the higher recessed form is articulated to relate to the new character of the neighborhood. It steps back and recedes as it rises, making it more private and less visible from the street. The lower form is brick. The upper is stucco. The lower is dark. The upper is light. A side yard is included along the south elevation for more daylight, glass, and a restaurant terrace. Hi, I'm Doug Pat, and this is Design Vault. Peter Miller is a partner of Palette Architecture, which he co-founded in 2010. He holds a BS in architecture from Washington University in St. Louis and a master's degree from the Graduate School of Architecture, Planning and Preservation at Columbia University. Peter is a director of the Executive Board of AIA New York and a Design for Freedom Working Group member. He's a registered architect with 20 plus years of experience focusing on designing and implementing innovative building systems and components. His notable projects include Grace Farms in New Canaan, Connecticut, the National World War II Museum in New Orleans, the revitalization of Forest Park in St. Louis the Confluence Master Plan of Missouri, and NYC HPD's Small Lots Development Program. Peter's work has won many design awards, including several AIA National Honors Awards and the Mies Crown Hall America's Prize. His work has been featured in Architectural Record, El Decor, Fast Company, The Wall Street Journal, and The New York Times. He's originally from rural Indiana and is from a family of craftsmen, engineers, entrepreneurs, and tinkerers. He treasures the creative process of turning ideas into physical form. So welcome, Peter. It's nice to have you with us today. So tell us a little bit about Palette Architecture in New York City. So it was founded in 2010. Where are you guys located in the city? What's the size of the firm and what type of work do you do?
1: So we're located in the, I like to say, the Union Square area. We're on 16th Street and 6th Avenue. We are 11 people in total, three partners and eight architects. The work that we primarily do is residential in nature. It spans from multifamily residential in the mid-size range, 50 dwellings is probably an average size for our mid-size developments, to custom residential townhouse projects within the city and custom houses ground up outside of the city. In addition to the residential work, we do a variety of other things. Early education is a big part of what we do. Preschools, daycares, things of that nature, and some other commercial projects spanning from retail to restaurants. How's business? Business is up and down. You know, when you own your own business, it's always a roller coaster. I would say we're busy. There is a lot of work being constructed right now. We have a lot of projects in construction. Design work continues to come in. It's not quite as strong as it was, say, a year ago. I think interest rates are affecting particularly the custom residential side of our business. But the multifamily business continues to be booming. We stay busy. Has the firm grown? We try very hard to stay the same size. We have a team of people that we really like and we trust them. And I think a big part of who we are is the consistency within our office. So when times get slow... We find ways to keep those people productive, and when times are busy, they go the extra mile for us and they put in the extra work.
0: So tell us a little bit about yourself. So how long have you been practicing, and what's your role in the office as a partner?
1: So I've been practicing since early 2000s. I attended Columbia University for graduate school and finished in 2006. And spent a better part of a decade working for well-known firms doing international projects, particularly of like museums and high-end residential. We formed Palette Architecture. I had two business partners, uh, John Sunwoo and Jeff Wandersman. We met at Columbia in studio. And there was always an idea that we wanted to work together. It took a while. We had our own careers at other firms for a while and came back together and formed the office in 2010. But it took a little while to get off the ground. Within the firm, my role is partner. We are fairly equal. It's one of our core elements at Pallet Architecture, the three partners. We have complementary skills, but we all can perform anything within the office. Projects are organized where each partner is in charge of one. And then beyond that, we have some other roles. One of my roles is sort of business management and human resources. So I do that in addition to all the design work, the Construction administration.
0: Let's dig in here and talk about six twenty five Rogers Avenue. So, how did your office get the project?
1: So, this is with a client we've been working with for a while. Is a little bit of background on Palette Architecture. We really started this firm fairly early in our careers. As such, we didn't have as many connections. A lot of things started out as they do in sort of those classic ideas of architecture. You're doing somebody's bathroom, somebody's kitchen, and then. You do a good job and you end up doing their house and eventually you work your way up. So it's been that way. We met this client when we were doing a lot of houses and they were looking to turn a house into a residential building, a multifamily for So it was to turn like a big townhouse into a four family. And so we did that project with them and we built a relationship that's led to, I think, 10 different projects with them now. And this is the latest one. And so they've grown in scale each time. And this one's, I think, 25 units.
0: The project is considerable size. So give us a little history of the location and what was there prior.
1: This is in the Prospect Lefferts neighborhood of Brooklyn. So that is on the north east side of Prospect Park. We've done a number of projects in this area. The site before this was largely vacant. There was a couple of dilapidated houses in that area. It was mostly a small demo and clearing. The, the project is near the corner of Parkside and Rogers Avenue. Rogers is the major like thoroughfare through the Prospect Lefferts neighborhood. We do not have the actual corner lot, which was kind of an unusual situation in terms of design. There is a small brick building on the corner that has a bodega in the ground floor. Adjacent to them, there was an easement in place for them to have access to the back of their building. So we have a minimum of eight feet that we needed to keep open between us and their building. So we ended up with a building that had two facades, even though it wasn't on a corner because of the easement.
0: So tell me a little bit about the scope of the project and the client's programmatic requirements.
1: So the scope of the project is largely multifamily residential. As with any case working with a developer, you know, it's maximizing units and floor area for the residential use. However, because it's on Rogers Avenue, which is a major thoroughfare, there was an overlay for commercial. So there was a desire to try to put as much commercial in here as was viable in terms of sales. On the ground floor, we have two commercial spaces. One is designed to be a restaurant and the other is a bit more flexible, likely to be more of a retail establishment. And then in addition, there is a small community facility space on the ground floor. There is a lobby also on the ground floor that leads up to the residential spaces. And there is five floors, two through six, that is residential apartments above.
0: So building plan, could you describe that on the site? Shape?
1: Yeah, so it's, L-shaped, I would say, with one of the major legs being across Rogers Avenue and the other leg running parallel to this easement that I mentioned before. And then there is a courtyard in that back portion of the L.
0: So project restrictions, zoning codes, what were you guys dealing with out there other than the easement?
1: One of the things that has generated a lot of our work in Prospect Lefferts Gardens is there was a zoning change probably about a decade ago that allowed for larger bulk in the area. So a lot of the buildings along Rogers Avenue and other parts of the neighborhood are suddenly getting a lot bigger. And in some cases, you're seeing full teardowns. In some cases, you're seeing vertical enlargements. In our case, it was important to have this contextual approach that some of the smaller buildings were going to remain for decades and others were going to instantly become larger. So we wanted something that spanned between those. That meant having A form that followed the context of those smaller buildings. So it's larger up to a setback, and then it sets back at the height of our neighbors and then becomes something a bit more fanciful above.
0: I'm thinking about the neighbors, right? And I'm thinking about the neighborhood. And you said these buildings are getting bigger. Is that driving anybody crazy?
1: Oh, certainly. It's a mixed neighborhood. I mean, gentrification is always an issue in New York City, and trying to deal with that in a responsible way as an architect is something we often think about. And it's certainly an issue in this neighborhood as well. Some people, you know, have a problem with larger buildings, but we're not talking about towers. The bulk has risen from like four stories to six or seven stories. So it's a bit bigger. The most bulk is on avenues where I think people are a bit more comfortable with it. And because we're bringing residential into the neighborhood, that's usually something that's appreciated. Everyone in New York believes rents and housing prices are too high and that we need a greater supply. So there isn't a lot of tension, I think, on that.
0: What does the city
1: do in terms of review? Aesthetics and building
0: height? Is there an open meeting? And you guys are just about to go into construction?
1: We are in construction. We've been in construction for almost a year. The superstructure is in place. A lot of the interiors are framed out and the building is fully enclosed at this point. We are about to clad the exterior. So we're pretty far along in construction. In terms of the city's take on the shape and the zoning of the building, New York City is fairly as of right city. If you are following the zoning code, zoning text and the building code, you can largely do what you want, but it is fairly constrained, especially if you want to maximize the floor area, maximize the amount of units. So you often find yourself into these rectilinear envelopes if you're trying to maximize, but there's room for play. And I think that's really what we were trying to do with this lower mass is to build that out, make it very tight and taut and follow the context of the neighborhood. It was a bit more challenging on our site because we also had to deal with this easement. And so the easement is a whole swath of the property that you can't use you're probably aware, but in New York City, the amount that you can build is a factor of the lot size. So the larger the lot, the more you can build. However, if you're not allowed to build on a portion of the lot, then that same amount of area has to fit into a smaller envelope. And so it gets tight. That's kind of what led to the L shape is that we couldn't simply do it in a bar building across the main avenue. We had to put some sort of extension onto the back, but we were fortunate that that extension could follow the easement. So we get a lot of natural light and air from that. It's not legal light and air, which I think from people from New York will be familiar with, which is something that is a requirement for all apartments. But we were able to get that through our courtyard and through our rear exposure. And so this was really like bonus windows and bonus light and air that we could get because of the easement. In addition, this corner building is quite a bit smaller. So we are afforded a lot of wonderful views over the top of it.
0: So tell us a little bit about the design process. I just typed in 625 Rogers Avenue, and there's a nice website that comes up and there's some great three-dimensional images there that Tell me a little bit about the design process. How does that work in your office and how long did it take for this project?
1: The design process is usually quite rapid in New York City. I would say the actual meat of the process, which is kind of something that a lot of times you learn in school, you spend some time, you make some models, try out a few renderings and you come up with something and then you say, well, we're not going to do this part. Let's change it like that. That part of like coming to a form and a floor plan was probably an eight to 10 week process. And then, of course, there's many stages after that coordinating with structure and mechanical and doing all the fine details and then that sort of thing. Then that's probably another couple of months. So were the clients excited about the project? Yes, they do value design a lot. And so they were quite excited about it. I think there was always a question of how were we going to deal with this easement? And I think they were very excited about this idea of this lower box that is contextual. We went formally contextual. I think that's also probably important to mention. It is a black brick. So it's not your traditional New York red brick or yellow brick that you might find in there. It is a black brick. So it is meant to pop a bit. What was important to us as a firm was to make something that was formally contextual, didn't look bigger than the neighbors, didn't look imposing. We're not interested in a building that like sticks out like a sore thumb. I think a lot of architects think that you need to make something flashy in order to be noticed and then for people to come and want you to design another flashy thing. That wasn't necessarily what we were after. We wanted something that had a calm facade to it and felt a bit like the neighborhood, but this isn't the early 1900s like the context was built in, so we can't do exactly that. So we were looking for something that was formally similar, but materially different. And so we went with this black brick along the lower volume. And then, of course, we had more area to use and we had to put it somewhere. So we set it back and we gave it more articulation. It's a bit of push and pull of rectangular volumes above, but it's a very light color. And the idea was always to be set back enough to where it wasn't initially visible. It was more of a second look sort of thing that when you see the building, you're like, oh, that feels like the size of other buildings in the neighborhood. And then when you look a second time, you're like, actually it is not. And what's going on up above is really articulated and interesting. And why did they do this sort of thing? And the reason why we did a lot of that on the upper volume was to create outdoor spaces. This was a project that was conceived during the pandemic and then finalized Throughout that process, there was a lot of interest in our office about making outdoor spaces, particularly private outdoor spaces, beyond the size of balconies, spaces that were more of room size so that you could actually spend time outside with others and you could work outside when the weather is good. So a lot of the articulation on this upper volume was about trying to create private outdoor spaces for each of the interior units.
0: So were there any unique construction details throughout the project?
1: Certainly. And we are talking about brick, I'm sure, today. So I think that has a lot to do with it. We've been finding that thin brick has been really advantageous to us throughout the process. New York City is all about every inch. Every inch matters. Real estate agents will tell you that. So, the thin brick does afford us a thinner wall thickness, which allows every unit to be a little bit bigger, the sales area to be a little bit bigger. So, it's something we've liked to do. But what we found great about the True Brick system, which is what we used, is that it's a mechanically fastened thin brick, which affords us new types of details. When you see the classical full brick, you can do corbeling, you can have some bricks project out from others to create shadow lines and other types of articulation, which wasn't initially available in thin brick because everything just had to sit inside of a tray and anything that projected out would become too much of a load and either pop out. And so what we were really excited about with this thin brick system, the true bricks, is that we could have a variety of brick depths while still saving these inches And so there was a lot of thought about that in terms of details. We used different depths of thin brick to articulate slab edges and also areas of pattern and texture. So within this brick volume on the base, there are strip windows. And between each strip window, we do have a textured brick that creates a bit of interest. It creates a pattern shadow on the facade. And then that is all captured in between these sort of expressed slab edges.
0: So could you go through a wall section for me,
1: exterior to interior? So we have on the exterior a variety of different depth thin bricks that snap into the True Bricks tray system, which is sort of like a channel-shaped system that is then attached into a Kingspan carrier panel. So this is sort of an all-in-one cladding, waterproofing insulation panel I believe it's an XPS insulation that's wrapped in a metal panel. And these are tongue and groove panels that come together and they're flashed at their tongue and groove. So the metal panel on the outside acts as waterproofing, especially when the joints are flashed. Then there is this completely separated other metal panel on the interior that's separated by this XPX insulation. So that provides your insulation. And then that interior panel allows you to attach to the stud. So there's no need for sheathing or a waterproofing layer, or another set of insulation. It's all in one. So we have that carrier panel, and then that is attached to the stud. And then on the interior of the stud, we have our finishes, which is general sheetrock.
0: And the insulation values of the walls?
1: No, you don't need to know the number, It's two I guess. and a half inches. So I'm guessing that's probably about R14.
0: That sounds really interesting. And using thin brick, I mean, it's a veneer like anything anyway. So whether or not you're going to use something that's three and five eighths thick or- it's a half inch thick. Yeah. But it's I, still a veneer.
1: I 100% agree. We live in a world now where energy code and sustainability issues are vitally important. And for the most part, we know brick classically is like a veneer as a cladding and a structural system, but it's just really not done that way anymore. It's mostly a cladding system now because we need to have this rain screen where where air can move behind the facade and we need continuous insulation. So if it's going to be mostly a veneer now, I'm a fan of the thin brick systems because it saves you that extra couple inches.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. You touched on this a little bit, just back to the aesthetics. So tell us about the style of choice. The building is contemporary. When I read about the architecture, you guys talked about aesthetically trying to work with the existing architecture in the neighborhood. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: I think it's largely about scale. So as I mentioned, we are trying to create a datum that matches with the neighbor in terms of height. I think the concern, back to what you mentioned before, is that people are going to feel like their neighborhood is growing rapidly and that it feels much more urban than it used to. And so that was really important to us in terms of context to make the scale feel as if they had always known this building. Beyond that, We felt that brick was an important choice. There's a lot of brick in the neighborhood. We felt that other materials might feel too distinct from the rest of the context. I don't think it's important that we try to look exactly like the neighbors because we're in a different era, a different technology. But there needs to be some tie to the way it is. And it was also sort of important to us that the windows had some sort of gridded logic to it to match the neighbors. So there's a nod to that. Beyond that, we felt freedom to go a different way. And so we relied on sort of a color choice as one way to do that, to create this darker volume on the lower part would sort of emphasize the height of the building that it matched the others because it's so present in its darkness. The other thing we liked about the darkness is that it made all the details a bit more subtle. It gave us a little more freedom to do things like these pattern bricks and these shadow lines that indicated that this was a newer building and that it has some innovative techniques and details to it, but wasn't flashy to the point of look at me and forget everyone else in the neighborhood. That's well explained.
0: So when you guys did drawings for the architecture, for the construction process, all 2D, 2D and 3D, Revit, what are you guys working now? Yeah, all Revit.
1: Revit? Our office is 100% BIM. We are an office that was founded since 2010. So the partners, all the employees, we all grew up in this. So we're 100% BIM. We use Revit as our software. So yeah, everything is done in Revit. From beginning to end, we found that's really beneficial with some of our clients too, because we can get to visualizations a lot quicker and that just makes them feel comfortable.
0: Yeah. Clients love that. Yeah, for sure. So did you guys learn anything interesting through the designing what you're currently in construction process? Anything new for you as you've been working on the architecture?
1: Well, let's see. Things that I would want to talk about. <laughs> Usually the lessons <laughs> are the things that like you didn't see coming or you feel like you could have controlled. I think one thing that we really learned on this project is moving to this Kingspan panel that I mentioned before is a new thing for our office. We're doing it on two projects sort of simultaneously. We knew a lot about the details going into it and we really believed in it and we love it, but our contractors were not familiar with it. And so there was definitely a lot of lessons in how to communicate these details because a lot of them came in and were like, They see these new Legos for the first time and they're like, oh, they must go together like this. And then you arrive at site and you say, no, actually you put that piece on wrong. It should be like this. There was a lot of back and forth and learning about how to communicate, when to come in in the process with somebody that hasn't used a technology before and really get them up to speed on it. That's funny.
0: (laughs) Yeah. GCs love that when you walk out into the field and you tell them they're wrong. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Before you go, Peter, you've been an architect for some time based on what you know today about being an architect. Do you have any words of advice for your younger version of you or maybe for some students or young architects that are just getting rolling? Well, that's a great question.
1: It's easier for me to advise my earlier self than to advise a generic architect in school. And I hope this advice applies For me, I was always an introverted sort of person. I come from a very conservative, rural background, and it took me a while to learn how to really speak my voice to people. And I think in school, there's this sense that your work is always out there for critique and that you should be careful about everything you do. I think I've learned over time that as long as you follow your own voice and your own beliefs, that those things will fall in place. And so I would advise myself when I was younger to not be concerned about whether or not your voice is going to land perfectly amongst your audience. I think as long as you believe in it passionately and you talk about it strongly and you think about it all the time and you critique yourself that that will lead to stronger work and it will lead to people wanting to see your work and interact with your work and make sure that it gets built in the way that you had always imagined it.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really beautiful way of looking at things, Right, that it'll land in the right location. You're just responsible for finding your voice and expressing it as best you can within the framework of the work that you do. That's great. So Peter, it's been great to have you here. Thanks for your time. Where can people go to learn more about palette architecture and yourself?
1: Well, certainly you can go to our website, PaletteArch.com, P-A-L-E-T-T-E-A-R-C-H.com. That's palette like the artist palette. There are many types of palettes out there. Or they can follow us on Instagram also at PaletteArch.
0: Well, Peter, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. It's been great to have you. Thanks for listening. If you learned something today, share this episode with a friend and give us a rating. And review on apple Podcasts to help others find the show if you want to find out more about today's project visit glengarry.com forward slash design dash vault that's g-l-e-n-g-e-r-y.com forward slash design dash vault want even more inspiration take a look around glengarry.com while you're there glengarry is one of the nation's largest brick manufacturers and an industry leader for its diversified product line of more than 600 brick products with inspiring photos, useful resources, easy search tools, helpful design studios, and more. I'm sure you'll find the inspiration you need to stretch your imagination.